That is the cry of our heart, to know you. We come here each week and we open up the Bible each day to know you. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. As we have been welcomed into your presence, I pray, Father, that you will speak deeply through the power of your Spirit, through my mouth, to our hearts. It's not just for education, but, Father, that is for transformation. In your name, amen. Kids, you may be dismissed. Well, before we dive into the book of John, I want to just take a moment. We announced uh, the, the, uh, the generosity of our church, and we have received all eight 50-inch televisions, and I know that our children's ministry folks have been using them and loving them already. We have blessed them with that. And so if we could just give the church the generosity, both of the TVs and as well as ending the year on a strong point of generosity, I believe that we should celebrate wins, and so I would just like us to take time to celebrate together. If we could just give the Lord a round of applause. My philosophy is that of Nehemiah, that whenever something that God has built happens, we celebrate. And God has built generosity into our hearts and has done an incredible amount of things. Also, before we continue, those of you who are new or have never been here before or have not been here since December because of all the crazy holiday travels, I want to remind us of the Mission 119, also known as 91 Weeks with Jesus. It is a 91-week walk through the entire scripture that uh, we are doing together as a church. There is a website that you can go to. You can sign up for it, mission119.org, or if you have a smartphone, you can download the app. It's Mission 119 as well. But for those of us who are not connected to uh, the internet or don't have the technology to go on our phones or to go online, we have put together a, uh, a reading guide for you out in the foyer. And we also, as he mentioned, have the written commentaries. We're working on CDs that you could take home with you. I've been talking with Lee on how to get that put together. But the written commentaries for week one and week two are there. On Monday, we start week two. I know you started on Tuesday most likely, but as you've heard, Pastor Sopri said, well, it's Monday. Welcome to Monday. So we wanted to make it easier for each and every one of us to just start on a Monday to Sunday schedule. So we kind of revamped these to reflect that. Also, as we mentioned in the foyer, there's this booklet on John. Uh, it, is, uh, it gives us the structure, the purpose, the date, and, and just gives an overall overview of the entire book for your study to assist you in that. And on the back of it, there are some tools that uh, I've suggested for you if you want further study. So that's all I have for that, and we are going to dive into the book of John. Let me just share with you, uh, you probably noticed this when I talked two weeks ago as we opened up the series on the book of John. I love the book of John, and so I might dance and get excited a lot this entire series, and, and if, if, you, if my energy kind of scares you, I'm really sorry, but I just love the book of John. It's my favorite book in the entire scripture, and uh, so I might, just, I might just get really excited. So with that said, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. But before we dig into the word, you can turn there while I tell you this, this quick story of a pastor that I know. Uh, I heard this story that he had, that he had a friend, and his pastor friend and his elders, they had decided that they needed some new buildings for their church. They were growing, and they needed to uh, hire a contractor to come in and build some things in their church. 
And he shares this story about how the pastor, who is kind of like me, not really good with his hands, kept begging the contractor, I need some sweat equity in this. I want to help out. What can I do? Tell me to do something. And he was kind of a gopher every once in a while. But one day the contractor said, okay, we're going to get your hands dirty. I need you to cut 100 eight-foot two-by-fours. And the pastor got really excited. He said, yes, I can finally use the saw. I can do it. Yes. It's a dangerous thing. If you know me, don't give me a saw. This guy, he, had, he, he took his measuring tape after church. He was all alone in the church sanctuary. That's where he set up his whole workshop. And he took the two-by-fours and he put it on the table. And he took his measuring tape and he measured out eight feet and got the perfect notch. Then he took the saw and he did a perfect cut. Now, it was amazing. But he did something that you're not supposed to do. He put his measuring tape away and then began to use each of the, the following uh, two-by-fours as his measuring. So he took the, the one eight-foot uh, two-by-four, and he put it on top of the other one, and he put a little notch, perfect cut. But if you do that a hundred times, you'll notice that there's a small difference each cut. So by the end of it, he had roughly uh, you know, one eight-foot, and then all the way up to ten-foot two-by-fours. <laughs> This is not my story, I promise. <laughs> I did not do this. But he put the measuring tape away. Why do I share that? Well, I believe that as we're opening up the scriptures, the title is Kingdom Blueprints for this, this sermon today. I believe that Jesus is our measuring tape. Jesus is the measuring tape for the Christian life. And I think many times in the church and in Christianity and our Christian lives, we can begin to look at other things as blueprints. We can say, oh, that's a really good discipleship program, or wow, that's a really good sermon series, or wow, this is really good, and I'm going to add this to my life, this Bible study program, or whatever it is. But we miss looking at Jesus as the measuring tape. And so I believe as we open up the scriptures today, we're going to see the reality that Jesus is the blueprint of the kingdom. Jesus is the blueprint of the kingdom. Listen, the world that we live in desperately needs the kingdom of God. But too often we allow ourselves to enjoy or rest or sit in the kingdom of man. And as Christians, we are supposed to be the representation of the kingdom of God to this world. And so you and I need to look at the life of Christ in order to live kingdom values. There's a, a pastor who once said, Without the values of heaven defining who we are and how we live, we are not in a position to influence the world's culture. Listen, as, as a church, our mission is to influence the world's culture for the glory of Jesus. We are called to live a different, separate culture. We're not to be a subculture. We're to develop a different kingdom heart, kingdom mindset culture. And Jesus is the measuring tape in order to do that. The incarnation then shows the church her mission. You and I catch our mission as a church and as individual Christians from the life of Jesus Christ. And throughout the entire book of John, we're going to see he opens this up in the reality of the life of Christ being our measuring tape over and over and over and over again. And we can look at the story of the gospel. We can look at Jesus' life and say, wow, wasn't Jesus awesome? But we forget the words that he says we too are to do what he was doing and even more greater things we will do 
because we have the Holy Spirit as a mass grouping of people. And so I fully believe that he is the blueprint of the kingdom. So I like to ask a question every time we approach the scripture and we ask a question that we seek to answer. And so the main points, we'll seek to answer this one question. What thematic values of heaven does the incarnation teach us? What are those thematic values? Now, I can't hit them all because Jesus' life continues on more and more and more values which we will touch on as we open up the book of John. But for this portion of scripture, these four verses, what thematic values of heaven does the incarnation teach us? So if you have the Gospel of John open, and I believe we're going to have it on the screen as well, we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. John chapter 1 verses 14 and 18, through 18. And so here's the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He, Christ, has made him known. In these four verses we see a packed theme of John. A theme that he's going to continue to extrapolate out. There are some Old Testament views that he is bringing in, trying to show us that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. All of Scripture develops this view of Jesus as our revealer of God. And so the first theme that I think that we can see is that glory is given to God through both a life and a mouth. Well, how do you get that? From John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory is given to God through both a life and a mouth. The word logos, that means word that we see, it means something to be spoken or something that has been spoken. The word came and dwelt among us. That His life, his existence was a trumpet, a speaking of God himself. And in fact, that word harkens back to the creation. If you were in the 91 weeks this week, you'll remember in Genesis 1, it says that God spoke, and it was. God spoke, and it was. God spoke, and it was. And so John is alluding with this word, logos, to the spoken word of God. Why is that important? Because if we understand that God is speaking, that he became flesh, there's a flesh reality of life, that he came and he dwelt among us to live, but it was the word, the logos, the spoken existence of Jesus, and so we have a mouth of Christ, and we have the life of Christ. As we open up the book of John, both are going to be very imperative to our understanding. Jesus didn't simply walk the earth and dwell among, he also spoke. Many of you might have a Bible that has the words of Christ in red. How many of you have the words of Christ in red in your Bible? Well, why, why is that? 
It's because the words of Christ are important to add to our lives. Because the words Jesus said are just as important as the works Jesus did. Now, in the past, there's been a focus on uh, the, the, just the words of Jesus. What did he say? And many times we missed his life. And, and in today's society, many people just want to attach to his life and say, look what he did. But it's the words and the works that you and I need to pay attention to. The kingdom blueprints of Jesus happen from his words and his works. What did he say and what did he do? Those are things that we're going to continue to unpack because Jesus said a whole lot of stuff in the book of John. And Jesus did a whole lot of stuff in the book of John. His words and his works are important for us to follow and understand what he means by that. So let me ask you a quick question. What words and works are defining your life? Are the words and the works of Jesus defining your life right now? Are they defining my life? Are they defining our life as a church, as a community together? And I know personally, not all the time. Someone straight asked me that question, I would say not all the time. But my goal is to continuously move towards a deeper and deeper reality of my life and my words proclaiming him. In the book of John, we'll see that the Holy Spirit's purpose in our life, his main purpose is to glorify Christ. Glorification of Jesus is a high, high priority for John. And he goes back to the Old Testament and proves why that is true. Our words and our works need to match the words and the works of Jesus. The next thing that we can see is that God's faithfulness is found in grace and truth. John, using the words grace and truth, is not just describing what Jesus spoke or how you and I are to speak, but he's looking back to Exodus. Now, it might be incredible. It's hard to, to see that right away when you look at the, the end of that verse 14. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But he's actually hearkening back to Exodus 33, 18 through 19, and Exodus 34, Verse 6. He's alluding to the faithfulness of God. Let me read those for you. Here he talks about the grace. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and you will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And then verse, chapter 34, verse 6, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What John is saying to his audience, which is predominantly Jewish, is he's saying this grace that comes in Jesus is the promised hope. That I will be gracious and merciful that my faithfulness will be made known. I love how the songs that we sang this morning spoke of God's mercy, spoke of God's grace, spoke of God's faithfulness. And I believe the Spirit was doing that and mending those together to reinforce the reality that God has Jesus come to prove his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. 
John is writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, showing and declaring the Jewish people, listen, everything you've hoped for, everything you've longed for, everything that was told about the Messiah is in fact in Jesus. Now, I know we talked about that two weeks ago when we talked about God coming in flesh and incarnating himself into our world, but we, he continues to reiterate this fact over and over. We're going to see Old Testament themes pop up in the book of John consistently because John wants his audience and he wants us to know that this was all planned out, and Jesus is the answer. Jesus' life is the blueprint. And that word, <coughs> excuse me, grace, the word, he harkens back to the word chesed, which means loving kindness. Grace isn't just this grace word. He's pulling it back to the word chesed, which means the loving kindness of God. Let me read what one commentator said. He said, in this expression, both loving kindness and truth refer to God's covenant faithfulness to his people Israel. Now, if you've been in the 91 weeks, you know that we've just unpacked the idea of covenant. On the fifth day, we looked at the story of, of Noah in our 91-week study. And there, God makes the first covenant with Noah the rainbow. It is a promise. It is something that he says, I can never break, because he does not lie. When God makes a covenant, it is true. We could take it to the bank every single time. And so he's saying Jesus not only is the blueprint of the kingdom, Jesus is the kingdom. He's the promised kingdom. He's everything I said would come. He is the fulfillment of my promise. And Jesus is everything. Jesus is all. I love the, 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 the root of our denomination. A.B. Simpson wrote so many hymns about the truth of the gospel of Jesus being all. Here, John says Jesus is all. And it should wake us up when we go through this sermon series to look and say, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? If he is the kingdom blueprint, I need to know. I need to understand. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Give me the ability to see with the eyes of the Lord what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. I don't want to miss it. Have you ever heard of a new movie that's coming out and you were just like, I just don't want to miss it. And maybe you went to, you know, the, the opening showing and you're there at like midnight waiting to get in and there's this deep anticipation, this super excitement to see this movie. Maybe it was Star Wars in 1970. Who knows? But there's excitement and anticipation. That's how we should approach the life and the words of Jesus. Are you in line at one in the morning waiting to see what Jesus said and did? I mean... You have the Bible, you don't have to wait in line. But the point is, are you eagerly anticipating what he is doing and saying? That's why I'm so jazzed about this series. Because you and I are going to be hit with the Spirit of God through the life of Jesus to understand how we are to live as the kingdom of God. Because if you remember two weeks ago, I discussed that you and I are the incarnation of Christ to this world. But it continues on, this idea of loving kindness, and it talks about grace, and it talks about truth. For from his fullness, in verse 16, we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus brings about shalom, the peace that has been promised to Israel through grace 
and truth. Grace and truth are the two important rocks that you and I will find in the book of John. He also describes them as word and spirit. Grace and truth, word and spirit, they're almost interchangeable through the book of John. And we'll see that over and over and over again. So what does that mean if Jesus lived with grace and truth, if his life was laced with grace and truth? Well, it means the works that we do and the words we say should be laced with grace and truth. The works we do and the words we say should be laced with grace and truth. Those two things, if we are seeking to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus on this earth as little Jesuses, that's what Christian means, by the way, little Christ, as we exemplify and incarnate God to our society, as we integrate kingdom values that change the way that our culture lives because we are being a different culture. When we do that, are our words and our works laced with grace and truth? Now, let me tell you, grace and truth are hard to lace together. It could be really easy to lace up truth, but like, you're just messed up. Look at what you did. You need to change. That's the truth. But then grace can be easy too without truth. Oh, it's okay. Everything is fine. I still love you. Do whatever you want. But no, grace and truth, they need to come together. Where we offer grace, but we also offer hard truth. In the book of Proverbs, it says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, which means that sometimes as a true friend, we're going to wound one another because we're going to be speaking hard truth. If you don't have any friends in your life that speak hard truth to you, biblically, they're not a good friend. I know that might sound harsh, but it's true. Hard truth. I just wounded you, maybe. (laughs) Proverbs. The works we do and the words we say should be laced with grace and truth. The words we say to our spouse. The words we say to our kids. The words we say to our coworkers. And the works that we do before each and every one of them, are they laced with grace and truth? Or are we just doing them? Or are we begrudgingly doing them? Are we missing the truth? Are we missing the grace? They should all be laced together. That is the kingdom blueprint that Jesus set down for you and for me. Along the themes of grace and truth, in John 1.17, John explains the next theme of how the entire scripture shouts of Jesus. This is one of my favorite points, is that the entire scripture shouts of Jesus. Listen to what he said. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's hearkening again back to the Old Testament, drawing them to the view of the covenant. And he says everything in the entire scripture that has been written points to Jesus. Now you're probably in the 91 weeks, you're gonna look at the the book of Numbers and you're gonna say there were 1,572 fighting men. How does that point to Jesus? Well, find out, it'll happen. There are ways that we can see how God was at work, that God was moving all of it towards Jesus. All of it moving towards the epicenter, the cornerstone. Maybe you've heard that word before about Jesus. That's what it means. He put in place, puts it all together. It doesn't make sense if you take out Jesus. And the foundation of our Christian faith, obviously without Jesus, falls apart. But understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament without understanding the centricity of Jesus We're missing the point. The entire scripture shouts of Jesus. The law was a symbol of God's covenant love and faithfulness. 
But here, John explains that the fullness of God's covenant love and faithfulness is in Jesus. A commentator put it better than I ever could. He said, although the law is God's gracious revelation, it is not adequate as a vehicle of the true ultimate grace that came only through Jesus Christ. John will continue to highlight that reality of the scripture shouting about Jesus. We'll see Old Testament allusions and illustrations where Jesus himself will say, hey, that story in the book of Numbers, that was about me. That story over there, that was about me. I am, he says, I am over and over and over again, which alludes to Exodus when, Jesus, when God revealed himself to Moses. It's incredible what John does as he weaves it all together. And that was the Holy Spirit breathing and guiding and leading him. And if that was important for the church then, it's important for the church now. To understand that Jesus is, in fact, the center He reveals Jesus. Not only was Jesus alive in the beginning, but he was the plan from the beginning. If you were in the book of Genesis this week with us, this is so cool how God just weaves it all together. Uh, You should read 91 Weeks. It's really good. Uh, It's the Bible, right? And so in, in Genesis, you see the reality of the fall, but God makes a prophetic declaration of how the seed, the, the, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. You see, God knew right then, he knew that the heel belonged to Jesus. He knew that that was going to be Jesus. That was a prophetic word at the very beginning of the earth about Jesus. He was the plan from the beginning. The moment that Adam sinned, he said, all right, Jesus, you're going to be up. This is what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to lay out. And it's not like our sin and Adam and Eve caught God by surprise. It's not like he was like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Let me go back to the drawing board and fix this whole thing. No, he knew it was going to happen. He is all-knowing. And so he put the plan of Jesus into existence before creation even happened. And that's why we see the illusions of God spoke, that he is the spoken word made flesh. See, this gets exciting. (laughs) We need to really look at Jesus' life. This is important stuff. We also understand that the incarnation is God's self-revelation. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, that's Jesus, has made him known. Jesus makes God known. And some people say, man, I don't, I don't even know who God is. I don't, I don't know God. I can't understand God. I can't fathom God. Look at the gospel of John or Matthew or Mark or Luke because Jesus is the revelation, the self-revelation of God. He says, here I am. This is me. Listen to his words. Listen to his life. Watch it. Examine it. And then practice it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He even says that. Listen to him. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We see that at the beginning of the Gospels of Mark and Matthew and and Luke, the baptism of Christ. Powerful things that you and I need to understand. That Jesus was sent to make God known. 
God has a desire to be known just as we deeply have a desire to be known. And so Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And Jesus was the plan and he is the purpose and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He comes with grace and truth, word and spirit. Man, I get so excited about this. Now I'm going to share with you, I'm going to geek out for a moment. Geeking out is a good thing. If you look at that word where it says at the end of verse 18, who is at the Father's side? He, that's Jesus, has made him known. And that word known isn't the, the gnosko word that we've been using, gnosko word that we've been using before. It's, even a, it's just even crazier different. It's the word exegesato. Now, if, you, if you've ever heard the word exegetical, like that's the kind of preaching that we, that we do here at Indiana Alliance Church where we exegete the scripture. What does it say? What does it mean? And so here, he's saying that Jesus not only makes him known to us personally, but he exegetes God. Now, why does that excite me? Because here's what exegesis means. It means to tell the whole story. Jesus' life it's the whole story. If that doesn't blow your mind, I, I don't know what will. And that's why we're in the book of John. That's why we want to look at the, the gospel, the life, the words of Jesus, because he tells the whole story of who God is. And you and I, as we grow in our faith, we should seek to know God more, to be in a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. We should have a holy discontent that I don't know enough of who he is, not stuff about him, but himself, for himself. Another hymn by A.B. Simpson is called Himself, which talks about all I want is him. And if that's the passion of our heart, if our passion is to know him and we want himself for us alone, the gospel is where we begin because Jesus exegetes God. He tells the whole story. Man, that that's, <laughs> just pumps me up. Like I said, I can geek out all day. But as we look at the, the life of Christ through Jesus' death and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can truly know God and make him known. Because if Jesus was the exegesis of God, and he gives us the same mission, that means that you and I should be those people who show, display, and explain God to a broken, hurting world who desperately needs the kingdom values implemented into their life, who desperately need the salvation that only Jesus brings, who desperately need grace and truth, the word and spirit. You and I should be the exegesis of God as well, telling the whole story. But many times we, f we find ourselves eisegeting, which means we take out what we want. If you go to the scriptures and you exegete, you're finding out what does it say, what does it mean, going back to the original language, back to the original culture, back to the original context, back to the original author. That's, and you exegete it out. But eisegesis says, oh, this says that I need to do grace and truth. Okay, all I'm gonna do is just give grace and and, and a little bit of truth or whatever we want. We just make up what we want to make up. A lot, of, a lot of pastors do that, by the way. It's really frustrating. Because Jesus doesn't lead to the glorification of Jesus. Many times it leads to the glorification of man or gives man license to do whatever he wants to do, but that's not what the Scripture calls us to do. We are to exegete Jesus. 
So the kingdom values that we can see in this portion of Scripture, again, are that Jesus is the blueprint of the kingdom. Glory is given to God through both a life and a mouth. God's faithfulness is found in grace and truth. The entire Scripture shouts of Jesus, and the incarnation is God's self-revelation. My prayer and my passion for you and for me, and I believe God's desire for you and for me is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to speak deeply to us as we open up and dig into the word from the book of John. That as we go through, this is a setup to see for you to have glasses as we look at the book to understand that Jesus is the blueprint of the kingdom and that what he said and what he did should be how we speak and live. But remember, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to you and to me that we can do it. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we will celebrate and remember together in a moment. But let me say finally, my challenge to us is that we would allow the Spirit to fill us with the capacity to reveal the Lord through our works and our words. Will you submit to the Holy Spirit to give you that ability And maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know if I want to. A.W. Tozer said that sometimes when you find yourself in that place where you don't want to, pray the prayer, Lord, help me to want to want to do that. And so if that's where you're at, pray for the desire. Pray for his help. Ask for the Spirit to fill you so that we can live the life of Christ together. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that we have an image, a person, a man who is fully God and fully man, who lived and spoke the truth in grace. Holy Spirit, fill us so that we can live the same way, with kingdom values leading what we do in your name. Amen. Amen.